This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, September 1st. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. The Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Cartload of economic data out today ahead of tomorrow's government jobs report. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the calendar has turned to September, which is usually a rough month for stocks. Let's take a look at trends in the market with Chuck Carlson, the CEO of Horizon Investments services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. Uh, before we talk about why September is such a down month for stocks historically, uh, let's reset the conversation about the Dow Theory and that uh, they could be retesting some of the lows that were established back in June. Yes, it's pretty clear under the Dow Theory where the market stands and what would uh, require a change in the trend from bearish to bullish. And, and right now the trend is bearish and we're watching those June 17th lows very closely. Uh, in the Dow Industrials, that June 17th low was 29,888. And in the Dow Transports, it's 12,868. If you get closes below those lows and both averages, that would reconfirm the bearish trend and, and lead to further selling uh, and probably a, a more substantial downside move. If on the other hand, those lows can hold, and you see the Dow averages uh, eclipse their recent August highs, which in the case of the Dow Industrials, that was 34,152, and in the transports, it's 15,209. That would be, under the Dow theory, a change in the trend from bearish to bullish. So, you know, the market's at kind of an inflection point here in terms of its, is it going to switch from uh, bearish to bullish, or are we going to continue to see a downward trend, especially if those lows are taken out? Tomorrow marks a week since the Jackson Hole speech by Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell that sparked this uh, market sell-off uh, that still continues. Um, under those circumstances, it's probably not a good time for it to be September 1st. Now, you know, a lot is made, and, and rightly so, about September being kind of the, the curse of September for the markets. And September has been by far the worst month for U.S. stocks. It, it, what's interesting, though, is that the average decline in September going back to 1928 is 1%. So it's, it's not as if, you know, stocks go down on average 15 or 20%. The decline has been 1%, and it's worth noting that in 45% of the September's since 1928, September's actually shown a positive gain. So, you know, it, it, yes, we are getting into kind of a month which has been worse than all the other months, but I don't think it's something that investors, quite frankly, should be trading on simply because of the seasonal aberration that is September. Is there any particular reason why uh, September has been such a rough month historically? Because you're in between summer and then coming up on uh, the end of the year when economic activity picks up, or is it just an interesting coincidence? 
You know, the, the, some reasons given are, are that you have investors that are exiting positions as they return from summer vacations. You know, some folks attribute it to tax loss selling by mutual funds, which have kind of September year ends. Uh, the other, and probably this one does make some sense. You get kind of a reality check on corporate earnings for the second half of the year following earnings that are reported in, in the June period. And, and that reality check oftentimes means analysts lowering their estimates, which, which makes September a little bit more difficult from a market perspective. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter in Hammond, Indiana. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up, a discussion with KPMG Chief Economist Diane Swank about the big pile of numbers that came out today. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Reports on manufacturing, construction spending, and worker productivity are out today with the government jobs report for August looming tomorrow. We welcome in Diane Swank. Swank, Chief Economist, KPMG, based in Chicago. Diane, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Good to in, be here. In, in a normal time when the uh, jobs report is coming out, uh, as y- you kind of want to root for a good one. You want to root for signs of robust hiring, and because robust hiring means that uh, people are finding jobs, there's very little economic anxiety and pain in households across the country. But if you're looking at things through an inflationary lens, is a report that exceeds expectations tomorrow morning, uh, is that a good thing for for uh, Fed policymakers or a bad thing? Well, I don't think Fed policymakers would ever say getting jobs is a bad thing, but you really hit on a critical issue, and that is when you're running two jobs per worker, which is what we had job openings at in July, that's a new record high, you do have this sort of um, situation, and labor costs came out today at the highest level since 1982, and labor costs are the largest percentage of costs that go into the service sector, which is our largest sector. So when the Fed is looking at this, they want to see that people get jobs, and they want to see that you know unemployment claims are down, and that when people do lose a job, they get a job quickly. That said, if those kinds of churn in the labor market and, the, and what we're seeing costs employers so much that they push it on in price increases that erodes all the purchasing power you have. And in fact, many, even though technically by an economist standards, the two negative quarters of growth in the first half of the year were not a recession because we created in the first six months alone, 2.8 million jobs, twice the annual average of the, of the 2010s. It did feel like a recession to the overwhelmed majority of consumers because they lost all the ground they had gained in wage gains and then some to inflation. And so when you're in a situation where the labor market is adding to inflation, you're sort of not getting much. It's great to have jobs and you want people to have jobs, but if you're losing your purchasing power and eroding your purchasing power over time, that could trigger a much more vicious cycle like we saw in the 1970s of not just inflation, but eroding living standards, falling profit margins, and elevated layoffs. That's a stagflationary scenario, and that's what the Fed wants to avoid. Unemployment uh, is still low. Layoffs still at uh, historic lows as well, based on the continuing and first-time unemployment claims numbers. ADP says uh, hiring slowed down in the month of August. So are we in a situation where people are losing jobs? They're not losing their jobs. They're staying in their jobs. But uh, at the same time, uh, maybe uh, hiring is slowing down. It's two open jobs per worker, and maybe those openings will remain open. 
Well, we'll see tomorrow, and we have to take tomorrow's data with a little bit of grain of salt. The August payroll data, August is the month where they have the lowest uh, uh people answering it rate of any month in the court in the whole year it's the most revised data out there so here we all are waiting and baiting breath you know waiting for that august employment report to come out yet it is the most suspicious and gets mo- revised the most of any other month in the entire year so i think that's also something we have to remember is when the number comes out we have to take it with a bit of grain of salt what we do know though is the unemployment rate's not going to be revised and that will likely stay at these record low three and a half percent levels what i'll be looking for is how many workers are also out sick in the month of august in the month of july we had 60 percent more people who were out sick and couldn't work than we did in any month pre-pandemic, that we're still having staffing shortages due to that as well is another concern for the Federal Reserve because that adds to costs on both workers and stress and workers who have to make up for those staffing shortages, but also costs to the overall system. Diane Swank, Chief Economist, KPMG in Chicago. Thank you so much for joining us today. Coming up next, Twitter is testing a new feature that will allow users to fix messages. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Twitter will roll out an option allowing users to edit tweets, but it comes at a cost. Let's learn more from Ina Freed, chief technology correspondent for the news site Axios based in San Francisco. Ina, thanks for joining us today. When it comes to the Twitter yeah, edit feature, well, when it comes to the, uh, the, the, Twitter, the Twitter edit feature, this is something that uh, users have been asking for for a long time. It is almost here, uh, but you have to be part of the uh, subscription tier of Twitter to actually uh, use it and test it out. To get it first, it's actually an internal testing right now. Next, it'll roll out to paid subscribers. But assuming that goes well, I expect them to make this available to all users. I think it's really about making sure they get this right. And there is a real risk here. Yeah, the, 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 you will only be allowed to uh, edit a tweet for uh, 30 minutes after uh, you send it out into the world, which probably takes care of 99.9% of all user gripes about having a typo or possibly having something auto-corrected into a word that you don't want. Uh, but as every, as is the case with lots of things with Twitter, um, the edit feature could be abused by some bad faith operators. Yeah, this is what I'm still concerned about. And they obviously are aware of this. It's why it's taken them years to roll it out. They have some protections. Um, When you retweet something, you're retweeting the version you see. If it gets changed later, they'll add a note saying this tweet has been changed. So you're not involuntarily sharing some misinformation. But someone could still use this in nefarious ways. They could do a meme that goes viral and then change the tweet to do a political message, misinformation or whatever. So I'm really eager to see how Twitter enforces abuse of this and if they can roll out the feature people want without a lot of unintended negative consequences. Well, this reminds me of the old days of Facebook groups and Facebook pages that would be established for something that was in the moment at a particular time. And then six or seven months later, after that thing disappeared from public consciousness, all of a sudden it was a marketing site or something that was designed to sell you something. Now, I'm no software engineer, uh, but will this edit, the the, the editing disclaimer kind of uh, feature, have a uh, an edit history that you can see um, with uh, with Facebook posts, where you can see if something's been edited, and if so, how? It will. And that's, that's one of the things they're doing. So you'll be able to see the history, 
Um, again, they have the 30-minute thing. So they're doing a few things that are certainly smart. Um, but, you know, I, I'm still a little – I still see some opportunities for abuse here. But this is something people want. They've been asking for it. Other sites have it. Facebook's had it for years. So, you know, in theory, they should be able to do this uh, without, without, you know, too much headache. But, you know, it's Twitter. There's always drama. Well, as someone who spends uh, an inordinate amount of time on that site, uh, it has a certain amount of mental gravitational pull. Um, it would be nice to have an edit feature because uh, I'm sure you have this problem, too. Uh, you're about to have a tweet that... Uh, uh, could solve all the world's problems, could be an insight uh, so penetrating uh, to really uh, set the world on fire, and then, up. Oh, what do you know? There's a typo. If only there was an edit feature, and it's, on, and it's on the way. Yes, it is. So no longer will you set the world on fire. <laughs> yes, it's no longer the best of times and the blurst of times. Ina Freed, Chief Technology Correspondent for the news site Axios.com, based in San Francisco. Thanks for joining us today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A retired Chicago police officer is critically wounded trying to prevent a holdup at a currency exchange. Migrants put on buses by the governor of Texas are now in Chicago. In Technology Thursday, keeping your children safe as they're discovering how to use technology. And a phenomenon called tip fatigue being seen at restaurant takeout counters. WBBM business, the markets are lower, but uh, off their lows for the day. The Dow is down 9.5, the NASDAQ is down 180, the S&P 500 is down 22. AccuWeather says mostly sunny, very warm, not all that humid, a high of 88. 85 degrees right now in Chicago at 1231. And topping our news at the half hour, a retired Chicago police officer is in serious condition, being treated for gunshot wounds after foiling a robbery on the south side this morning. It happened around 7.30 at a currency exchange on 71st and Wentworth. Police say the suspect was approaching an employee who was opening up the business. This is CPD Deputy Chief Fred Milion. It was just like it was an attempt robbery. She was opening the currency exchange, so I think they're waiting to get in to try and get it in there and rob it. The 60-year-old former officer was shot twice in the left thigh, once in the right thigh, and three times in the abdomen. No one's in custody. Dozens of migrants spent the night in Chicago after being bussed in from Texas as part of a protest against federal border policy. According to Governor J.B. Pritzker, the migrants are mostly from Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua. The governor of Texas tweeted last night that the first bus of migrants from Texas to sanctuary cities like Chicago had arrived and that Texas will continue busing migrants until the U.S. border policy changes. Mayor Lori Lightfoot criticized Governor Abbott, saying he brings a stain upon the nation. We shouldn't be in a situation where families are thrown on buses with babies, pregnant women, people who are in need of medical care on an uncertain journey across our country. The mayor says the 75 or so migrants would be moved to other locations in the city today after getting a meal and a warm bed here at the Salvation Army Freedom Center in Humboldt Park. 
Bernie Tafoya, 105.9 WBBM. Hey, it's 12.32. The noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are in the red today. We're joined by Michael Palumbo, the founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Is there any sign that this sell-off will end anytime soon? Well, good afternoon, Rob, uh, and thanks for having me on. That's the question of, of, the, of the week and, and of the month of September. Uh, we've had a, a straight downdraft down, uh, especially uh, accelerated by the comments of uh, Chairman Powell, Fed Chairman Powell last week, and uh, it, it's, ma- it's making things uh, look pretty ugly right now. S&P is back. It had rallied back to 4,300, and now it's back down to 3,900 or so, and that's down 20% for the year now. The threat of uh, interest rate hikes and sustained interest rate hikes, uh, always hard on uh, growth-based stocks, especially in the tech sector. But uh, the Bitcoin rally seems to have fizzled along with the stock market rally. Yeah, so so Bitcoin, you know, you'd like to think it's a, it's an alternative investment that it is not attached to the stock market, but. One thing it definitely is attached to, and that's the value of the dollar. And as the market has been selling off, the dollar has gotten a strong bid. It's at 20-year highs right now. So if the dollar is high, everything that's, that's, uh, that's quoted in dollars is generally going to be going down. And Bitcoin's one of them. Oil is another one. Uh, so that's not helping crypto at all. And then also, there is definitely a, a correlation between other risk assets and cryptocurrencies, and, and that's played out in the past. And, and so you've got Bitcoin now trading under 20000 for uh, again, and it's down over 50% this year. Uh, you, there's some incredible pain in the riskiest of assets this year, and um, I don't know when it's going to stop. It, it, it's basically, as, as rates keep going up, um, the, the, the answer to that question is when will rates stop going up? And um, and my my answer to that is when when Chairman Powell stops being so hawkish, and I don't know when that's going to be. He he certainly just spoke, and was incredibly hawkish. And we're going to see you know as the Fed meets the next couple times to end the year if that if that talk starts to weaken a little bit as the economy starts to weaken because we expect the economy to. to we can considerably just on these rate rises. So we'll see how this plays out. But right now, the environment for stocks is 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 not good, and that's why you're seeing this big downdraft. And then very quickly, uh, we're talking, you know, the electric vehicle technology, definitely the uh, technology of this decade, and uh, tax credits are part of the uh, recent uh, legislation passed in Washington. Now it's a matter of just getting the rest of the supply chain up to speed, and that includes uh, battery manufacturing and sourcing in the United States. There is a lithium plant about to go online, a refining plant about to go online in Tennessee. Um, how far away is this uh, sector from becoming a, a fully operational point uh, in American industry, or could this be another choke point in the future, even with electric vehicles? Well, you're talking about Piedmont Lithium, which announced that they're going to uh, start a plant in Tennessee that will provide enough lithium for 500,000 electronic or electric vehicles. And the problem with that is, is that the production will not start till 2025. And it's still a drop in the bucket compared to what the demand will be for EVs. I don't know how this plays out. Markets have always been incredibly adaptive to, to uh, demand uh, for things such as oil, et cetera. Um, but 
the demand for lithium is is skyrocketing so quickly. I don't know how this how we will be able to handle it in the short term. Eventually, we will get to a, a, an equilibrium. But I'm telling you, over the next ten years, there's going to be such a a a, a uh, uh, demand uh, increase compared to supply that it's not going to be possible to to pr- to produce the amount of vehicles that they're expecting to make. So something has to give. We'll see. I'm sure we'll adapt, but but I do think that EV production will be affected dramatically just because of supply constraints. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital in Chicago. Thank you for joining us. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday, and this afternoon we're putting a focus on kids in tech, including ways to keep them safe. And this is above and beyond the discussion of stranger danger online about, uh, you know, there's an entirely different discussion to be had about uh, making sure your children are savvy when they are online and dealing with uh, uh, possible uh, people who misrepresent misrepresent themselves or want to put them into a compromising position. That's an entirely different discussion uh, when talking about online safety. But this time we're talking about the ways tech can be used to keep kids safe at school. And in just a couple of seconds, we'll talk to Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today and founder and editor-in-chief of Techish.com, based in San Francisco. The uh, smartwatches uh, that kids could use and that parents can use to give them a little bit of peace of mind about where their child may be, and also knowing that that smartwatch could give them the ability to call for help in the event of an emergency. And uh, we talked about the T-Mobile SyncUp Kids Watch uh, how can an Apple Watch benefit an older student? Well, speaking of those watches, I have just done a ton of testing uh, a couple months with the Gab Watch 2, and that's the one I most highly recommend for kids. It's a tiny cell phone that kids wear on their pairs for talking, texting, and GPS tracking. That includes safe zones and more. Kids can contact their parents. It's especially wonderful for emergencies. Apple Watches can do basically the same thing for older kids. And the whole idea is that this technology really allows you as a parent to know exactly where they are and to have them get in touch with you or you at least very quietly get in touch with them in case of an emergency. And the important thing you also point out, Jennifer, is to, and very quickly here, uh, practice ahead of time to make sure they know how these things work. Absolutely. They're having all kinds of drills in school. This is a drill that, unfortunately, we need to add at home. Make sure they know the two or three steps to get to you quietly or to get to law enforcement quietly should they need to. Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today, based in San Francisco. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Restaurant customers who are getting takeout orders are feeling less generous these days. Let's discuss tipping fatigue with Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach based in Chicago. Izzy, thanks for joining us today. Tipping is a subject that is fraught with many emotional tripwires. Everyone has a very, uh, they have a procedure. They have a lot of defined opinions about uh, who is deserving of a tip and why. So it's, it's a lot of people bring their own. Uh, their own thoughts into a tipping discussion. But uh, did tipping go up, especially for takeout workers uh, during the pandemic shutdowns when uh, when when going out to uh, to to take you know patronize a takeout place uh, was was essentially doing your patriotic duty during a crisis? 
Well, that, that's absolutely correct. I mean, in the beginning of the pandemic, or once everybody started to come back to work, everybody was tipping because they were so thankful that people, you know, immediately got back to their jobs and they were there helping you and putting things in car. And, and a great way to show your appreciation was to tip. And we were tipping for all sorts of things that we never tipped for before. But it's been over a year now. Uh, things have changed. Uh, people see that employers cannot find anybody to help them. And they do have tipping fatigue. So where they used to tip the guy who came out and put something in your car, uh, they're not doing that. Uh, you know, going to a Starbucks, uh, I'm sure tipping has gone way down. So, uh, well, that and, of course, looking at minimum wage. Uh, in California, they're looking at fast food minimum wages going from $15 to $22. So I think people look at all this and say, you know what, maybe I don't have to tip quite as much as I used to. Also, has it has a change in technology kind of led to this particular feeling? Because a lot of uh, a lot of restaurants and uh, quick service places uh, installed contact-free uh, payment technology, and that also includes a tipping screen. It says, "Would you like to leave a tip before uh, your transaction is complete?" And maybe people resent being asked to do that for something that they didn't do before or think about before. Uh, I think so. I think that. Particular technology can swing both ways. Some people see, oh, it's so easy. I'll just hit the 10 or 20% button and move on. But it does absolutely, I agree with you, make people think uh, a lot more about tipping than they did in the past. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> again, new technology, some restaurants, you go to the table and there's an iPad, right? And now you're actually punching your own order. And then, uh, you know, your bill comes up and it's, and it says, do you want a tip? And what are you tipping for? The person who brought your food from the kitchen to uh, your table? You know, that it's a whole different story. So you're right. Technology is starting to blur the tip line a little bit. And then very quickly, on the whole, are people more generous these days uh, compared to two years ago or pre-pandemic times or less? I think people are still generous. I think they're not quite as generous where they might have left a 25% tip for just, you know, somebody doing putting something in the trunk, trunk of their car. I think that's, you know, I think we're seeing that reduced down to 15, 10% or, or people just saying, you know what, the restaurant, everything I read in the paper and hear in the news, these people are making good money and they don't tip at all. Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. You'll find past programs and later today, a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.